So we are in a sermon series throughout this summer called Come to Jesus. Uh, We're actually in week six of seven, so next week will be the last week in the sermon series. And uh, and we've just been looking at different uh, interactions and encounters that Jesus uh, had with people, and, and we've been specifically looking at the way that Jesus modeled compassion and conviction, that Jesus was full of grace and yet he, he was confrontational at times. He wasn't uh, afraid to, to say the hard things. And I've shared this before, but one of my big struggles as I think about sharing Jesus with people is I love talking about the grace of God. I love talking about the benefits of the gospel. I love talking about heaven. And yet when, when I need to talk about sin or hell or things of that nature, some of the, the harder things, um, that's when I shy away a little bit. I just kind of like, oh, that, that's hard to do to lean into and so this sermon series has been really good, even for me, to think, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus embody both compassion and conviction? And, uh, and so I feel like I've, I've been able to grow a lot in, in some of these uh, interactions uh, throughout this sermon series. Well, today's passage is probably the most awkward and tense dinner scene that Jesus ever had uh, while he lived on the earth in Luke chapter 14. And that includes the Last Supper where if you remember the Last Supper, he's, he's having a dinner with his disciples, and, uh, and Judas is there, and, and he literally talks about someone that's going to betray him, referring to Judas. I think this scene here tops that as far as kind of an awkward moment and even a tense-filled tense-filled uh, meal here. And as we look at this passage together, it's really not just because Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for inviting the wrong people. Uh, It's not just because Jesus even rebukes them because of having the wrong seating arrangements. That in in Luke chapter 14, uh, the the individuals are are taking the place of honor where they shouldn't take the place of honor. But the reason why this is such an awkward scene is because the Pharisees at at this dinner made the dangerous assumption that they were in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus responds, it even corrects that dangerous assumption, and you can imagine how incredibly awkward that must have been. I mean, imagine if you're talking to somebody maybe at work or in your neighborhood, and they call themselves a Christian, and yet they're not a Christian. And, and you're, you're, you're trying to react and respond to that, kind of how a, a really awkward and maybe a tense moment there. Well, Jesus is doing that in this dinner scene, and, and at the dinner table are filled with Pharisees and religious leaders who thought that they were in the kingdom of God. And so let's see what we can learn about evangelism in this passage. So let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll dive in together. God, we thank you so much for uh, the power of your word. God, we are astounded that your word never comes back void. God, you have a purpose and a plan for it, even this morning. And so, God, we open our hearts to you, and we ask that you would speak to us as your word is alive and active. God, I pray that you'd help me to, to worship from the pulpit here, God. Lord, protect me from, from this just being a presentation, but God, help me to worship you, Jesus, to enjoy you as I talk about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you heard uh, in the news over the last couple of weeks uh, the woman from Indiana who had her wedding canceled. Her and her fiancé had this wedding, and, and they called it off for, uh, for different reasons. And, uh, and her wedding, which was about $30,000, was about ready to go to waste. And so it was non-refundable. I believe it was at, uh, the reception was at the Ritz in Carmel. 
and, uh, and she had about 170 uh, uh, plates of dinner that was already purchased. She couldn't get her money back. And so instead of just wasting it, she invites all kinds of homeless people to come to this party uh, for free. And uh, we had, there are other vendors that uh, donated different dresses and different suits for them to, to dress up, and they just uh, enjoyed a, a great night of, of celebration. And uh, you hear that story on the news, and I'm not sure if this woman is a woman of faith or not, but, but you're just taken aback about this woman's generosity and even uh, hospitality. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing scene of someone who's you know, not really sure what happened to her relationship with her fiancé, but really redeems uh, kind of that whole experience and loves on people that she uh, didn't know at all. Now, if you told a first century Pharisee about uh, what that woman did, they would object to that. Now, it's not because the Pharisees in the first century weren't generous. It's not that they hated the poor. But the way that the Pharisees and even people who were socially elite, it, it's because of the way that they viewed dinners and parties and banquets. See, the Pharisees and the social uh, elites viewed dinners and, and banquets as a way to kind of reinforce and advertise uh, social hierarchy that what they would do is they would invite people, Pharisees would, who were ceremonially clean, they were religiously clean, and they would invite people over for dinner, and by doing so, they're basically drawing a line in the sand, a boundary of who is in and who is out. And what would happen in, in the culture in the first century is whenever they invited somebody over for dinner, that would get reciprocated. And so everybody in culture knew who were socially elite, who were religiously clean, and who was not. And so you get to our passage here at our dinner scene, and you can understand why this dinner scene is so tense and so awkward. It's because of what Jesus says here, specifically in verses 12 through 14, that Jesus is basically saying, look, you've invited the wrong people here. You're using hospitality. You're using this dinner in the wrong way. Now, I, I don't want us to think that you can't invite your friends and, and family members over for dinner. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. I mean, Jesus would have violated his own principle with the Last Supper, having a meal with his closest friends. But the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here in verses 12 through 14 has to do with motives for hospitality. Jesus is basically saying, don't just invite people over in order to be repaid. That's why he gives the list of people there with, uh, with the poor and the crippled and the lame, because those people surely cannot repay you back. And so having a dinner was, was, was financially expensive. It was socially uh, expensive. So Jesus is saying that the best hospitality is given. It's not exchanged. Don't just invite people over for what you can get in return. Now, you look at the, the scene, and, and you have to understand that. The reason why it's important is because the whole reason why the Pharisees invited Jesus over was for what they could get from Jesus. Now, you learn that in chapter 14, verse 1. Just let your eye uh, look over at verse 1 there because it sets the context for our scene. It says, One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And so we learn here that the Pharisees are inviting Jesus over really as kind of a win-win situation for them. That either they're going to catch Jesus doing something unlawful on the Sabbath, like heal somebody, which he's done many times, or 
they're going to invite Jesus over so that if he accepts this invitation, the community of people would kind of group Jesus and the Pharisees together. So remember, Jesus' popularity was, was kind of at an all-time high at this point. And so you put Jesus together with the Pharisees, the Pharisees are looking at that as a win for them and their social status. And so the Pharisees are excited that Jesus accepted this invitation, and yet what takes place in this scene is a lose-lose for the Pharisees. And I cannot emphasize enough how awkward this scene is. In fact, there are two uh, different accounts in which Luke records this moment of silence. In chapter 14, verses 4, you have Jesus um, ask a question in verse 3, and then Luke says, but they remained silent. And then you drop down in verse 6, and after Jesus said some things in verse 5, it says, and they could not reply to these, to, to these things. And I'm sure you've been at a dinner scene or a social function where it's just really, really awkward. Like there's not a whole lot of interaction, no one's really talking, and, and people are saying some things that make, make the whole atmosphere very tense. That's exactly what's going on here. That Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, telling them all the things that they've done wrong with having this dinner, and it's extremely awkward. And then you get to verse 15, right after Jesus just rebuked the Pharisees, and this man who is sitting near Jesus or next to Jesus just blurts out, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Just kind of blurts it out there, almost, almost random. And it's almost as if this gentleman is trying to cut the air. He's trying to, to kind of lighten the mood for a moment, almost to tell Jesus, okay, Jesus, move on. Get, get to something a little bit lighter here. And yet with this insertion, he, he's making a theologically accurate statement that there is coming a time in which the Messiah will come back. And, and when he comes back, he'll restore the kingdom fully. And when that happens, there will be a great feast. There will be a great party for the people of God. Now, that is true. And yet, with this insertion, this individual is, is assuming that he is in the kingdom of God. That he's assuming that he and the other guests at the table are actually the people of God. Now, some interpreters believe that this saying in verse 15 was, was kind of intended to be a social cue for Jesus to move on or to kind of change the subject. It's like, okay, Jesus, stop talking about, let's, let's talk about something else. It's almost like uh, maybe the phrase in our culture of, of bless your hearts. You know, like if you're around your grandparents maybe and, and you might have said something that was, that was awkward or maybe off-putting, like I don't know if you had the grandma that just kind of touched your knee and said, oh, bless your heart, and then kind of would change the subject. That, that's kind of what some interpreters believe is going on here with verse 15. Okay, Jesus, that's, that's enough of that. Let's get on to something lighter and more positive. And yet if you notice, Jesus doesn't change the subject. He doesn't move on, but in fact, he doubles down. And he tells this story and this parable and basically says, okay, you want to talk about who's in the kingdom of God? Let's talk about who's in the kingdom of God. And he gets right into this parable. Now we see Jesus in this passage being almost forceful. We see Jesus being convictional and confrontational. And yet we have to understand again that Jesus accepting this invitation to this dinner party was an act of grace by Jesus. 
Jesus didn't have to come and interact with the Pharisees, but he wanted to love them and create an environment where he could lean in a little bit more bluntly and be more direct. And before we get into this parable that Jesus shares here, I do just want to kind of encourage us that the most strategic way in the 21st century to share the gospel is hospitality. If, if you do kind of different research and you look at what leading missiologists are saying in the 21st century, the act of hospitality is bearing so much fruit in the arena of evangelism. And I just want us to be aware of that, that here we are yet again, Jesus is having dinner in a home and he's talking about salvation. And look, we've seen that over and over and over again throughout this sermon series, and it's all over the Gospels. Jesus routinely is in someone's home sharing a meal, and he's talking about salvation. And if you look at what leading missiologists are saying, they're saying that, that a, a, an act of hospitality is so countercultural today that it's, it's bearing so much fruit with evangelism. Because when you invite somebody over into your home, it's kind of an inconvenience for you. You have to clean the house. You have to make extra food. You're taking time out. And people just, they don't just do that anymore. At people's pace, it's so fast and so quick. And, and yet extending hospitality uh, to, to have someone over for dinner and, and you just slow down for a moment and you have unhurried conversation without your cell phones, without the TV on, and you talk about someone's story and then you talk about your story, talking about Jesus, it's bearing so much fruit in the 21st century in, in America. And because it's, it's kind of weird now, to actually have someone over into your home and, and to do that. And so I just want to encourage us as we think about what our role is here in Hamilton County, in Fishers and Noblesville, to have people over for dinner for the sake of evangelism. That to not just view your home as a place of refuge and comfort, but to view your home as a playground for the gospel to be both embodied and for the gospel to be shared. And why else would God give you a home? I mean, yeah, he wants to take care of you and your family, but, but maybe he's giving you a home in order to invite people who are far from him into your home in order to share your story in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that here in, with what Jesus is doing all throughout the gospels. Now, let's get to the this, this story here of what Jesus uh, says in response to verse 15. I just want to point out just a couple of things within this story that I think will help us in the area of evangelism. First, notice in this story the master's banquet in verses 16 and 17. So Jesus responds and he says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, Eastern custom was such that when you threw a party or you threw a banquet, there was essentially two different invitations that would go out. And we see that here in verses 16 and 17, that there was a general invitation. He invited many. And then in verse 17, that there was another invitation where the servants went and said that everything is now ready. That was, that was custom here in this culture. And basically, you can view the first invitation as, as almost like a RSVP uh, type of, of, of invitation, almost like a save the date. And the reason for that is because in this time, they had to know how much food to prepare, who was all coming. 
And so there was a general invitation, and then based on the responses there, they would prepare the food, get the party ready, and because they didn't have iPhones, because they didn't have, you know, calendar options, how would those people know when the party was ready? Well, they would send out this second invitation, and they would send their servants out, and they'd say, hey, the food is now ready, the party is ready, come on, let's, let's get this started. And so two invitations would go out. Now remember, Jesus is responding to the comment in verse 15 about the kingdom of God. And his audience knew that. His audience, the Pharisees, are following and tracking with Jesus that the banquet here in Jesus' story represents the kingdom of God. And so the master here represents God himself. The Pharisees are tracking with that. In fact, the Pharisees would have known what Jesus' reference was with these two invitations. This isn't just a first century custom, but the Pharisees would be tracking with Jesus that this first invitation that went out represents the prophets in the Old Testament. The prophets in the Old Testament would often explain that there is a future dinner feast with God, with the Messiah, that the kingdom of God is here and it is now ready. And so you see that in Jeremiah, you see that even in Luke Isaiah, or in Isaiah 25, uh, verse 6. Let me just read that for a moment, just give you one example. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And so just one example of many in the Old Testament of the prophets projecting and saying there is a future feast. And so this first invitation represents the prophets that there, there's a general invitation that has gone out. So they're, they're tracking with that. But the story that Jesus shares here gets really interesting when you move to verse 17 about this second invitation that's gone out. Uh, the Pharisees are, are leaning into what Jesus is saying here, that, that the master has sent this servant and has declared that everything is now ready. And so if you're a Pharisee, you're thinking, wait a second, the, the, the future kingdom is here? It's, it's ready? It's now, it's now here? And so the Pharisees are wondering, who is this servant? What is Jesus talking about here? And clearly Jesus is, is talking about the servant, referencing him uh, himself. And so what Jesus is saying is this, that God's timetable for the kingdom of God has just kicked significantly forward. So if you're the Pharisees at this dinner, you are, you are totally either confused or you're wondering, what does he mean that the kingdom of God is here? That Jesus' role was to inaugurate the kingdom of God. It's not something in the future, but it is here and it is now ready. Are you in or are you out? And so everything in this story now carries kind of a new weight. The Pharisees are wondering, what is Jesus talking about here? Now, that also means that, that these excuses that we see in verses 18 and through 20, there are three here that I'll unpack, uh, are also viewed in a new light. That what Jesus is doing with these excuses is he's almost categorizing common barriers for pe- that keep people from coming into the kingdom of God. And when you read these excuses, they, they sound reasonable, maybe even acceptable. And yet these are common barriers that keep people from coming to Jesus, that these are barriers that maybe your neighbors use, that maybe your coworkers use from coming to Jesus, that, that maybe these are, these are barriers that whoever you're trying to share the gospel with might actually use. 
And so let's look at, at each of these uh, in verses 18, 19, and 20. The first excuse that we see that Jesus says is that the man says, I cannot come. I bought a field and I must attend to it. Now you think about that. Why is that an excuse that keeps that, that person coming from coming to the banquet? Like if you bought a field, you're going to check it out. That might take a couple of minutes and then you can go off to the party. Well, back in this time period, people's identities, kind of who they are, was wrapped up in either their occupation or the land that they owned. That owning land was an identity marker. That it was, it was part of what you were known for. It was part of your reputation. It was part of, of your image. That we, we have to remember, they didn't have mailboxes. They didn't have Facebook or cell phones or, or the yellow pages. And so if you're trying to find somebody, let's say you're trying to find Joe Smith. Someone had to know what land Joe Smith owned. And so if you're like, where, where does Joe Smith uh, live? Someone had to say, oh yeah, Joe Smith, he owns that land over there past the pond and down, and down there a couple hundred yards. That that's where Joe Smith lives. That's where he is. And in essence, that's who he is. That's what Joe Smith is known for. And so what Jesus is saying here is that this person's property which represents his identity, which represents his image and his reputation, he's placing ahead of the kingdom of God. That he's using that as an excuse from coming to the banquet. Now, obviously, this is, this is one of the most popular obstacles for people in the community that we live in in this day and age for people coming and following Jesus. That we live in a culture where people are obsessed with what they're known for. They're obsessed with their identity, with their image, with, with what uh, the reputation is all about. And so we just need to be mindful of that as we're sharing the gospel and we're calling people to follow Jesus, that, that in our day and age, following Jesus is becoming less and less acceptable. Have you noticed that? Like in years past, being a Christian was, was very acceptable. In fact, being an American and being a Christian was almost synonymous and now, if you claim to follow Jesus and you believe everything in this book to be the word of God, that's not always going to be acceptable in our day and age. And so when we're trying to share the gospel with people and we're saying, yeah, do you want to follow Jesus? And they, they say to themselves, oh man, following Jesus, like, am I going to be known as a, as a Jesus follower? Am I going to be known as someone who goes to church that believes in the Bible? I, I, don't, I don't know if I want that. That's going to hurt my reputation. That's going to hurt my identity. That's going to hurt my business. That's going to hurt my, my social status with my friends. I don't know if I want to follow Jesus. This is, this is a very common obstacle, and I don't know if you've picked up on this as you're, as you're sharing Jesus with people, that this, this first excuse fits the day and age in which we live in that we just need to be aware of as we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. So the first excuse is land, which represents his reputation. Well, the second excuse in verse 19, this person just bought a lot of oxen. And he says, I, I need to go and examine them. Now, this excuse, I think, represents the barrier of wealth and comfort. See, five yoke of oxen would be needed in order to work over 100 acres of land in this time period when the average person only had about three to six acres. Okay, so this person is loaded. This person is very well off, 
And I think wealth and comfort you can almost group together. And so he turns down the banquet and in this parable turns down the kingdom of God because of money and because of comforts. Now, two weeks ago, Dustin preached on the rich young ruler, and we looked at the different idolatries that keep people from following Jesus and how wealth and comfort can be an idol. And yet, don't misunderstand me this morning that wealth and comfort are not evil in and of of themselves. And yet, when we elevate wealth and comfort above following Jesus, that's when it becomes an idol. When we prioritize those things or, or when we uh, maybe lose some comfort and lose some wealth and our whole world comes crashing down, that's when an idol might be exposed. And so here we, we see this, this, uh, this excuse and this barrier for not coming to Jesus because he's very wealthy and because he wants to remain comfortable. Now, yet again, this is really helpful for us as we think about sharing the gospel in, in the culture that we live in that following Jesus is not comfortable. Like when we call people to the gospel, we're calling them to repent of their sins, to to turn away from from sinful lifestyles. That's hard to do. Like that's a big ask. That's that's uncomfortable to give up sins that, that people love to engage with and to follow Jesus. So yet again, this is a common barrier that even we see in the culture in which we live in. Now look at the third excuse in verse 20. Um, Jesus telling the story says, the person says, I, I cannot come. I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, everybody who's married kind of understands that excuse. Uh, you can't go to the party. Well, why not? Well, I'm married. Well, why can't you go? Well, my wife says I can't go. So uh, that's why. And so with this barrier, this kind of excuse, I think this represents even relationships, not just marriage, but even relationships that can serve as an idol, that can serve as a barrier. Now, obviously, marriage and relationships and friendships are not evil in and of themselves, but when they are elevated above following Jesus, when they are a higher priority, when your affections are stirred more for your spouse or your friend or whoever it is, more than with Jesus, then that can keep you from coming into the kingdom of God. So Jesus lays out these three different categories of excuses, of barriers that keep people uh, from entering the kingdom of God. Now, why these three? We don't know. I mean, maybe these were the three most popular for the Pharisees that were at this dinner party. And we obviously know there are more barriers out there that keep people from following Jesus. But notice the master's response here in verses 21 through 24. That the servant comes back and informs the master of these excuses. He says that the invitations that have gone out have all been declined. And so how does the master respond? Well, we see the master, he becomes angry. And he tells his servant to go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, doesn't that list sound familiar to you for a moment? Like when you think about that group of people That's the same group that Jesus referenced in verse 13 of who we should invite to our dinner parties. Now, most believe it doesn't necessarily, can mean literally those people, but the guest list references people who cannot repay you. It's people who cannot earn a spot at the table. And so what do we learn about the guest list for who will accept the invitation to the kingdom of God? Well, the people who will accept the invitation to follow Jesus are the people who understand their need 
for Jesus. It's people who have come to the end of themselves, who who have no other options, who all that they bring before God is their need, and they cannot earn a spot at the table. They cannot work for a spot at the table. They cannot repay God back. They have come to the end of themselves and their resources, and all that they have is their neediness for Jesus. Those are the people that will be in the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees here, just they did not see their need for Jesus. They had all these other options, all of these other excuses that they were relying on in order uh, to make a good life. Now, you know someone is close to accepting uh, the invitation into the kingdom of God when their need for Jesus eclipses whatever excuse that they had for not following Jesus. That when someone, uh, as you're talking with someone about Jesus and and the Spirit of God is just at work in their life, and you see the, the realization come upon them that they want and need Jesus more than these other idols, that they see their need for Jesus more than the excuses that they've had their whole life, you know they're close in following Jesus. And so your role as an evangelist, as someone who is, who is uh, just loving Jesus loudly, is to lovingly expose their need for Jesus. And one of the greatest ways that you can do that is you can lovingly help them see the immense gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of their life. It's one of the best ways that you can show their need for Jesus is to show this, this chasm between God and them, and that Jesus bridges that gap. Jesus fills that gap with his life and death on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when, I, when I'm like thinking about that, that my, I'm trying to help people see their need for Jesus, and yet you live in, in kind of North Indianapolis, where kind of the name of the game is to hide all of your needs you don't want to let people know that you have needs or that, or that you're lacking in anything. This is a really unique challenge for us. That you talk about evangelism in the suburbs. Man, it's hard because people don't see their need. They've got everything. They could buy anything they want. And so when you talk about, hey, do you need Jesus? Like, I'm good. I'm, I've, I've got everything. You know what? What's the response when you talk to your neighbors? Hey, how's everything going? I'm I'm good. Um, you know, life's great. I got everything I want. You know, we're keeping up with the Joneses. And so for us, this is a real challenge for us to lovingly and in a winsome way show people their need for Jesus by pointing to something that they cannot purchase or earn or work for, which is the forgiveness of their sins. So Jesus is trying to expose that the people who will accept this invitation are those that understand their need for Jesus and cannot work into the kingdom of God. Now, at this point in the story, there is a question that is on the forefront of everybody's mind. Every Pharisee is wondering, have I declined the invitation to the banquet? Have I I refused the kingdom of God? And if so, what, what excuse am I using? Every Pharisee's thinking about that at, at, at this point in the story. And honestly, it's the same question that is before many of us today. Now, have you accepted the invitation to the kingdom of God? Or if not, what excuse are you using for not following Jesus? And Jesus is responding to verse 15 and, and says, Yes, you are right. Blessed is everyone who does eat bread in the kingdom of God. But will you accept or will you decline? 
perhaps the Pharisees are saying to themselves, look, I'm not saying that I, I don't need to enter the kingdom of God. I just don't want to enter the kingdom of God now. Maybe the Pharisees are saying, I, I know I should enter the kingdom of God, but I just, I just don't want to do it now. I'm, I'm preoccupied with, with all of these other things. I've got land, I've got wealth, I've got relationships. I, I just don't want to enter now. And look, maybe that sounds familiar to, to the person that you're sharing the gospel with or, or the person that's on the name on the back of your bookmark that you're praying for to receive Jesus. Maybe you've heard that before. Like, I know I need to follow Jesus, but I'm just not ready now. I've got all these other things going on in my life. Or maybe that, that resonates with some of us in this room today. That maybe some of us are here today and, and you're open to spiritual things. You, you think about God. You're, you're at church on a Sunday morning rather than sleeping in. And yet you're not prepared to say that you're all in for Jesus. You're not prepared to say that you want to follow Jesus now. You know you should go and follow Jesus. You know that, that, that that's a need of yours but you're not prepared to do it now. And today you've got fields to attend to. You've got oxen to attend. You've got all these other things that are in your life, these other idols that have eclipsed your need for Jesus and you're not ready now. And since you're sitting in front of me here today, I I just want to lovingly just show you the fact that you are not promised tomorrow. That if you're saying to yourself, "I, I know I need to follow Jesus, I'm just not ready today, You're not promised the next hour. There's no guarantee that you will wake up tomorrow. And so my my plea with you today is to come to Jesus today to see that your need is bigger than all of these other idols and all of these other excuses that your need for Jesus is great. And also that you are in danger of becoming verse 24 Where Jesus says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquets. This invitation that has gone out that you've heard about Jesus may not last forever. And so don't leave this place without making the most important decision of your life and surrender your life to Jesus and come to the banquet today. And so we, we see these Pharisees who are just wondering, man, what? What does this mean? Am I in the kingdom of God or am I not in the kingdom of God? Now, look at the last couple of verses here. Look at the servant's faithfulness for a moment. That in verses 22 and 24, which might be the most important verses for us to hear today, we we see just one last command from the master to the servants. The servant has invited the people that the master said to invite And he goes to the master at the end of verse 22, and he says, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. So the master's response is, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, Jesus is referring to here the Gentiles to go out uh, past the, the city here, go out uh, to the highways and the hedges, the Gentiles living on the outskirts of the city, and invite those people in. So the Pharisees hearing that are like, wait, the Gentiles are going to be in the kingdom of God too? They're, they're totally confused. And, and at this time of the story, as Jesus is sharing this, the servant does refer to Jesus himself. But on this side of the cross, and at this time in human history and God's redemptive story, who is the servant today? Well, the servant are followers of Jesus. 
The servant here in the story, it's you and me. It's us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who know that Jesus is our greatest need, that this command from the master, from God himself, to go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, that is a command for us, that we are to be compelled and to go and to get people to come into the kingdom of God. And so what does that mean practically? Like, what does that mean to compel people to follow Jesus? What, what does that even look like? Well, just, just to kind of close out this morning, I want to I just look at three different ways that we can compel people to follow Jesus from this story. So when you think about the evangelism challenge, when you think about how to talk about Jesus and, and love Jesus out loud, here are three ways that we can compel people to come in that can help us do that. That number one, we remember what we are inviting people to. Okay, now, now Jesus refers to heaven, the kingdom of God, as if it's this great party, this huge banquet. Now, this is a really good reminder as we think about how do I compel people to follow Jesus? Remember that you're inviting somebody to heaven. You're inviting somebody to be with Jesus forever and ever. That we're not inviting people to the, the cold, stale scraps at the table. We're inviting people to the greatest thing ever that will go on forever and ever and ever. That should help us be compelled as we talk about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. It, it, it's as if, if if you were handed a couple dozen free tickets to the Indianapolis Colts game, okay, and, and, and they're the best seats in the house, all right? You've got free parking, free food, and and. What's inside the package there is that you get to meet some of the Colts players after the game. Now, honestly, you probably just want to meet Andrew Luck at this point, but, uh, but it's, a, it's a really good deal. Okay, you get these free tickets, and so you've got all of these tickets in surplus. And you think to yourself, I need to invite my friends. I need to invite my family. I need people to come with me because this is going to be an unbelievable event. Well, knowing that, how will that impact how you compel people to join you? I mean, you're, you're even going to invite your mom who hates the Colts and hates football because it's going to be an unbelievable experience. You say, Mom, I know you don't like football, but look, it's going to be free food. We're going to meet some pro uh, professional football players. You do not want to miss this. Like, you're going to be that type of, you're going to have that type of urgency because you know the event is going to be amazing. Now, people have got how much more knowing about heaven should we be compelling people to come in? That heaven is nothing compared to, to meeting some Colts players, especially with next season coming up. But honestly, do we understand what we are inviting people to as it relates to evangelism? And that can help us compel people to follow Jesus. The second thing to understand to help us compel people is just to know and to anticipate that everyone has an excuse. Okay, everyone, even the lame and the crippled and the poor here, which, which kind of represents uh, those that have come to the end of themselves, those that maybe are great sinners, even they have an excuse for coming to Jesus because they're thinking to themselves, me? Going to the party? Going to the banquet? Like, God loves me? Like, I'm this great sinner. So even, even the sinners have, have, have a great excuse. So just know that and anticipate that. And I think the response to the excuses that, that we hear and that we encounter with is to show the greatness of Jesus, to show them that Jesus is better than their, their excuses, 
to show that Jesus is more satisfying and more beautiful than their idols. And one of the greatest ways to do that is just to share your personal story. And everybody loves a personal story of life change. And, to, and so if you're interacting with someone who's giving excuses for not following Jesus, say, man, me too. Like, I've been there. I, I used to idolize wealth and comforts, or I used to idolize sex, or I used to idolize all these other things, but Jesus found me. Jesus saved me. Jesus changed my life, and this is how it happened. You share a story, a personal story of life change. That is the greatest apologetic in our day. And so anticipate everyone has an excuse, but you have a story to share that will resonate with the person that you're talking to. And then last, the third, I think, way that, we can, that, that this story can help us compel people is to, is to have a winsome urgency as we talk about Jesus, as we share about Jesus. If you notice here, the last thing that we see here, the master says in verse 21 to go out what? Go out quickly. That there is this urgency. There is still room in the kingdom of God. And then, of course, you see verse 23, the word compel. That there is this level of winsome urgency that must describe the people of God as we evangelize. And so, do you know how to talk about Jesus in a winsome way? Do you know how to love Jesus out loud? Do you know how to make Jesus not only convincing but compelling? This past week, my, um, my three-year-old daughter, Ellie, uh, got to taste Taco Bell for the very first time. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, man, what a bad parent. You're giving your kid, you know, Taco Bell. Like, what's, what's up with that? Well, yeah, I agree. I'm a bad parent for waiting this long. Um, <laughs> But man, Taco Bell is so good. Like if you, like, this has to be a safe place for me to share this. Like it is so, so delicious. Like, yeah, thank you. There we go. All right. We won't amen about Jesus, but we amen about Taco Bell. So one of the best things on the menu is the cheesy gordita crunch. Okay, now if you haven't had the cheesy gordita crunch, you have to have the cheesy gordita crunch because look, it's basically a hard taco inside a soft taco and there's melted cheese in the middle. And it's absolutely unbelievable. Like there's this special sauce that they put on top of the tide. I don't even know what it's called. I don't even care. But it is so good. It's like heaven in your mouth. Like your taste buds just go crazy. And it's absolutely incredible. Like if you haven't had one, you have to have, in fact, if you haven't had one and you want to go try one, I will go with you. Just email me or text me. And I just want to see the expression on your face of the glory of Taco Bell on your face. It's unbelievable. Now, okay, <laughs> what am I doing there? I'm trying to compel you to convert to be a Taco Bell lover. That, that's essentially like how you talk about Jesus. Like you just glory in the greatness and the beauty and how life-changing Jesus actually is. Look, do you know how to do that with Jesus? Like I just did that very easily of, of a cheesy gritty crunch because I genuinely love cheesy gritty crunches. I have it like on a monthly basis, as you can see. But do you know how to do that with Jesus? Here's the secret. You gotta love Jesus. You gotta love him. You, you gotta be obsessed with him. You've gotta think about him throughout the day. And because you talk about that which you love. Like I've converted dozens of people to Taco Bell unabashedly because I love Taco Bell. Well, what about Jesus? We need to be a people who are so obsessed with Jesus, who are igniting a passion in other people to follow Jesus because we love him and we want other people to do the same.
Now, verse 15 here, the, the individual is right. There, there is a future banquet. There is a future feast that will take place between the people of God and Jesus. It's in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. There's this beautiful scene of, of the people of God, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that God has saved. And, and they're at this, this wedding feast and we're celebrating our bridegroom, Jesus himself, and the church is the bride. And we're just gathered together. And, and I don't know what that scene is gonna be like. I, I don't know. We just, we just have this description of this huge feast and we're celebrating Jesus. And I'm sure we're, we're eating good food and I'm sure for us non-Baptist people, we're drinking good wine. And I just wonder if, if like the, the topic of the conversation is just, hey, let's, let's brag about Jesus real quick. Let's share stories of how Jesus saved us. And so you just wonder if like Abraham stands up and he's got his glass of wine and he starts talking about how lost he was, how he had so many idols, how he, was, he wasn't even following God. And then Genesis 12 happened and God says, Abraham, I want you to, I want you to follow me. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go. I want you to just follow me. And, and Abraham is sharing. He's like, man, I was so crazy out of my mind. I just followed him. I didn't know where we were going, but I knew it was worth it. And he starts talking about how God saved him and he sits back down. And I wonder if other people just start standing up and just start talking about Jesus and how Jesus saved him. Like if Paul stands up and he's like, man, I was killing Christians. Like I was, I was out just persecuting the people of God and Jesus gave me this vision and knocked me off my donkey and I followed Jesus and I couldn't help but talk about Jesus with other people. And you wonder if, if, the, if the conversation turns and people stand up and they start saying, you know what? I'm a Jesus follower, obviously, but, but the person over here named Bob, Bob is the one who shared the gospel with me that God used, and he's why I'm here. Like, I wonder if the, if the Philippian jailer stands up and says, man, I had Paul and Silas in jail, and there was this crazy earthquake, and, and the jails were, were, the doors were, were free, and they could have gone out, but they stayed, and they shared Jesus with me, and I started following Jesus, me and my whole household, and Paul and Silas God used them. They're the reason why I'm here. And I just wonder if it just keeps going on and on and on. And you have to stop and think for a moment. Will there be anybody in heaven at this feast who stands up and says, I'm here today because God used this person to share the gospel with. And they took me out to lunch and they were so nervous and they stumbled over the gospel, and yet God used and God opened my blind eyes. And I'm here today because so-and-so stepped out in faith and boldness and shared the gospel. Will there be anybody there because you spoke up? Will there be anybody because you opened your mouth and said, I, I can't keep Jesus to myself? Can you imagine if someone stands up that you didn't know accepted Jesus, like, you're here? What? Like, you, like, yeah, like, that conversation in, in our backyard when you invited us over for a meal, like, the Lord used that, and a decade later, I finally committed to Jesus. Can you, can you just stop and imagine what that banquet, that feast will be like in the kingdom of God? How can we not share the glory of Jesus? So, God, I don't know where the Lord finds you today. I don't know uh, where you find yourself in this parable Oh, and maybe you're someone who has all these excuses and you haven't committed to following Jesus. You haven't uh, placed your faith uh, upon him. Or, or maybe uh, you're, you're the servant in this passage and you're sharing Jesus with people and yet you feel so overwhelmed with the task. 
you just feel like there's fear, you don't know how to do this, and, and you, just, you just need help, you just need prayer. And, and so I, I just want to close out today. I, you know, there, I say this a lot, but there's nothing holy or special about this place down front. But just as, as a symbolic act of dependency upon God, we're, we're going to sing one last song this morning. And if you are filled with, with kind of the sense of, of evangelism being overwhelming to you, or there's kind of this, this fear, or I just don't know how, or, or you just realize, God, you're the only one that can save people. If you just want to come down here to the front and just kneel and just cry out to the Lord for help, like, like this is totally open for you during the, this last song. Maybe you're here and you've been sharing the gospel. You wrote down a name on the back of that bookmark. And you're like, man, I just want to intercede for that person right now. I want to intercede for my neighbor. I want to intercede for my coworker. And you just want to come down front and just cry out to the Lord for God to save them. I just want to encourage you and invite you to do that during this last song. Or look, maybe you're here and, and you're like, I can't even think about evangelism. Like my life is, is filled with suffering, with pain. I'm going through a trial. We've got health issues going on. Back to school is in a couple weeks, and I just feel so stressed. And you just want to come down here and just kneel and just pray and just cry out to the Lord. Like, I just encourage you to do that here. I just want this place to be filled with the people of God crying out to their God, saying, God, you are the only one that can intervene in my life. That the neediness in your life is too overwhelming. You need prayer here this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we can stand and respond and then sing this last song together. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gospel message. God, we thank you that, that your arm is not too short to save. God, we thank you that Jesus is so satisfying, that he is so good. God, that he has redeemed us. He's, he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so God, I pray against fear. God, I pray against, against the enemy who wants to trip us up, especially in the realm of evangelism. God, I pray that you would, you would be with, with us in this room who are suffering today. God, that you'd be with us who feel just this task before us is so overwhelming. God, show us that you are bigger than our fears in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name.